You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello, Mr. Joe. Hello, Mr. Matt. Hello, hello indeed. Oh, welcome back. Another 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 twosome episode. After last week, we obviously had Dan from Dan Explains It All from Old Blood Noise Endeavours. And I really enjoyed that episode. It was informative and cool. I really like Dan. He is lovely. I want him back. He's got a nice voice. Very nice voice. He's good for explaining it all, which is, of course, what he does. <laughs> Unbelievably, you know, that's what he's good at. So uh, <laughs> there we go. But yeah, no, yes. good Good to have him on there. Good to talk about some of the stuff. Seen lots of people talking about the float. It's their yes. new pedal. And and actually, I did, I did see uh, Peter um, uh, post about the Calamity uh, drive as well, yes. which, he's, which he's picked up on on the group, which is great. The you know Dan's very own um, calamity drive for his band Plain Speak, um, which is incredibly topical. The calamity drive and the way he set it up, considering I said I, I think last week on the Patreon episode that I wanted to talk about the Origin Effects Halcyon Green Overdrive. And just the whole backbone of the Halcyon is very similar to the to the mm. calamity. Mm, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's. It, do you know what? It's interesting. Never. Uh, so, for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, uh, Origin Effects have released their very own tube screamer. Uh, they're not hiding that fact. They're you know very much promoting it as their version of a tube screamer, which is fine. I think everyone is allowed to do what they want to do, and if they feel absolutely. that they can improve. On a circuit, I mean, Boss does it for their own pedals. You know, we've got Waza. <laughs> so, you know, we, we take our circuits and we go, what can we do, you know, 30 plus years later? So I think that's fine. But yeah. I, I their, think the thing take for on Origin Effects that got, um, that maybe made it a bit of a discussion uh, around it being a tube screamer is when, you know, sort of uh, X, I, I don't know, like Mountain Fuzz pantheon pedals you know whatever they all have weird names when when some <laughs> some fellow with his own pedal company does his version of a tube screamer everyone goes oh cool it's a tube streamer alternative it's 100 quid it's 200 quid or something like that that's fine but when someone like origin effects does it origin effects pedals are expensive and they are very premium so when origin effects copy a pedal that is incredibly affordable there's an awful lot they have to do to warrant the price point almost mm. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I kind of get that. And I, and I guess um, it's just one of those things, isn't it? I, I think some people say they've got an overdrive pedal and it's based on a classic circuit and, and it's kind of obvious what it is. And some aren't as kind of obvious as what this is. This is very much like it looks like a tube screamer. It's the same colour. Uh, you know, it's got the term 808 on it, you know, and they're even using the kind of tube screamer name and, and registered trademark in their in their description. So, you know, I think they're very much, and you know, imitation is the, uh, as they say, the imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, but I think what's, what's nice here, and again, something I've not really heard of before, is this adaptive circuitry um which obviously is proprietary what they're calling it to um the halcyon but also similar in the calamity drive which is effectively the the articulation control which actually has exactly the same it's the set it's in the same place it's a it's a switch with three different settings and it essentially does the set well a very similar thing to the halcyon yeah i mean they do say um you know there's a slightly off topic but uh they always say that when you've got someone who invented something that actually someone else some is inventing exactly the same thing so it's i think there's a story about like the light bulb or something and they were like if edison hadn't involved the light bulb we wouldn't have like you know light bulbs now or electricity now and i was like no someone else would have was literally inventing the same thing at the same time it's just like that product became the product to use um so you know it's just like it's just one of those things you know it's yeah yeah but um i think it's quite it's quite interesting that because this adaptive control from what i understand is basically i think it's something to do with the dry level so the halcyon green overdrive has got level drive tone which you'd normally expect and then you've also got a dry level so a lot of tube screamers have a level of kind of dry bleed i guess in your overdrive which kind of gives it that kind of tube screamer type vibe very kind of transparent thing doesn't it yeah it's obviously it's got that kind of mid push but Mm. um also gives you yeah a level of of dry which is nice because you can dial all of it out or you can dial a lot of it in um which i think is really nice because it as, as they say, kind of adds body and definition when you're just boosting a low-gain amp sound, you know, so you can add a lot more dry in as well, which is quite cool. But the um, the adapt control basically clean... It, it just means that when you're playing with the volume control, um, it allows the kind of mid-push of that pedal to sort of fade away. Um, so you can kind of get the 808 sound like absolutely cranked but you can roll back on the volume control and that's something that kind of the classic tube screamers don't do they're not as dynamic to your volume control so right. this allows you to kind of dial a little bit more of that adaptive you know hence the name um sort of control in when using it with various guitars and i think that's that's very topical of the type of pedal that t- the tube screamer aims at because it's trying to be the tube screamer is naturally a low gain drive pedal and the thing about low gain is what it's really trying to emulate is edge of breakup sort of amp breakup and mm. the thing about amp breakup is it's very dynamic the softer you play mm. the, the less it's going to break up so when a tube screamer still applies the exact same amount of gain when you're playing very softly it sounds fake um whereas the halcyon's offering a, an extraordinarily dynamic version of that 
Yeah. Which makes it a great preamp, you know, more, more than anything else. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Isotope and Native Instruments have teamed up to create the start-to-finish bundle that home recording guitar nerds have been waiting for. Plus, you, dear listener, get an extra 10% off with guitar nerds by using discount code NERDS10 at the checkout on isotope.com. From the creative spark to the final touch, their new bundles include pretty much everything you could possibly need, which is great because it's far too easy to sink hundreds of pounds and a big chunk of your time into just picking up random plugins. The music production suite 4.1 and Complete 13 bundle contains over 30 intelligent mixing, mastering and repair plugins, 65 premium instruments, 20 plus expansions and over 35,000 sounds. And if that's a bit basic for you, they've also bundled Music Production Suite 4.1 with Complete 13 Ultimate, which gives you everything that makes Complete 13 incredible, plus a colossal library of added synths, sampled instruments and effects. 115 plus premium instruments and effects, 39 native instruments expansions and over 65,000 sounds. It sounds like a lot. It is. It's very good, very comprehensive. And as we've come to expect from Isotope, it's very good value. If you're looking to get into home recording, I cannot recommend it more highly. And if you're already into home recording, it it really is the one-stop shop for making what you do sound better. This podcast is entirely treated and produced using Isotope plugins, and Native Instruments have been responsible for almost every synth or sample you've heard on our Guitar Nerds jingles. Check out their great new bundles on isotope.com or follow links in the description of this podcast and use discount code NERDS10 at the checkout for 10% off anything in the Isotope arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, um, you know, a lot, I know some people are like, oh, it's another tube screamer. And I actually think it's kind of something very different. I think it's homage to, to what they're like and, and done it in Origin's way. Uh and I think this is this is definitely something to try. I mean, Joe, you've obviously had one for a bit now, so you've had a little yeah. bit more time playing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, that's the way I've sat with it as kind of a preamp. I can't imagine putting it on... I mean, I, of course, there, you know, most pe- everyone plays differently. But I can't imagine ever wanting to turn it off. I'm sure it can be absolutely used in the way that most people use tube screamers as a 
as a big sort of you know that that quintessential drive sound but i found just using sort of the mellower end of it the most dynamic section uh, setting on the uh, the adaptive switch and letting quite a, a fair amount of dry through i was like well, this is actually just a, a fantastic preamp just to give you a little bit of very dynamic grip when you're going into something very clean so perfect if you're going to be honest into a daw or if you're going into like a, a very clean class d amp you know like dv mark offer some great sort of very clean class d amps or even something like a jazz chorus mm. um this will kind of give you all the headroom that you get from something like a jazz chorus but with an incredibly realistic dynamic edge of breakup um yeah so and i thought it sounded as good on bass as it did guitar by oh, the way as well I, interesting I sort of, I used it for both and just basically used it as the main amp, then just added like a, a cab sim onto the guitar and the bass. And I was, I was, extra I'm, I'm going to upload some, some reels onto Instagram later this week of me using it on both guitar and bass. But yeah, exactly that. Just a gorgeous amp style edge of breakup pedal. Um, hard, hard to beat, to be honest. Calling it a tube screamer is almost. <laughs> I know it's based on that, but it it makes people not think enough of it. It's so much more. Yeah, I guess a lot of the reason people buy a tube screamer is that mid push sort of you know driven circuit. Um, mm. But yeah, you could just go and buy a tube screamer. So you've got to do something different, and you've got to do something in your own way. Um, and actually, I think one thing I like about this is when I've tried similar pedals, you know, similar things that kind of do that mid-focused drive is that yeah again they don't clean up particularly well in a volume control and that's why i always like kind of more fuzz pedals because you know when i'm just sort of playing at home i like to play around with the volume control and clean it up and then hmm. you know push it forward for a bit more drive something that i only really got used to in the last kind of few years i always thought oh, i'll just have a drive pedal for each drive sound and that's why i I've avoided these kind of pedals before because I'm just, or, right. or more recently, because I'm like, oh, it just does that sound and I don't feel that I can sort of play around with the volume control a bit more. So I like the idea of this and having a bit more of the adapt control. Um, but also, you know, don't forget they've also put the, you've got two switches in terms of the voicing. So you've got the 808 or the mod. And obviously the mod gives you... Um, it moves the it's mid. It's a bit more full range, isn't it? The mod. Yeah, it, it, they say it moves the mid hump slightly up the frequency range, so you've, it's a little bit more resonant, which can be better for for humbuckers. Um, but I think right. it's just something that you just sort of mess around with and and find your own sound. But I think this gives you a little bit more versatility on that classic sort of tube screamer circuit. So uh, keen keen to try it, Joe. You need to send send it my I way. I will. I will. I will send it your way um, uh, uh, later this week once I, once I've made some videos for it. I really like it. I, I I think it's I think it's excellent. Tube screamers have never really been my speed, um, but this is absolutely banging. It's kind of up there with the best drives that I've checked out this year. I think as as being sort of the yeah sort of the most interesting and the most fun yeah for me for me it's still it is still really difficult to top um the the angry rhubarb the red beard <laughs> yeah it's, you um, know it's it's, angry rhubarb. it's it's funny you mention that because again I've, I've i've got more i think most people i think i've got more drive pedals followed closely by delay pedals um than the, than anything and um I plugged in the uh, Red Mist again and just sort of like, you oh, know, yeah. when you've got so much, you know, uh, 
well, it sounds awfully privileged when you've got so many pedals, you know, you just, <laughs> but, um, I think the great thing about the, the angry rhubarb and when we were talking about it on the gear of the year is that the fact that it's effectively almost like three stages of gain because you've got the volume the post drive and the pre-drive and then you've got that sort of frequency control haven't you you can basically yeah. turn it into anything yeah it can be a really thin coctoir it can turn a big humbucker guitar into the thinnest telly if you're sort of boosting those high-end frequencies it can be a big thick mushy or doom like fuzz drive like it can do all those things but it does them all with this incredible depth and articulation that i don't mm. hear on a lot of pedals it makes your sound very three-dimensional your drive sound very three-dimensional and I think if you know a bit about drive and, and specifically a bit about what sort of drive sounds you like, then you need to, it's almost, that's about understanding what frequencies and where you like that drive to be coming from. Mm. And so being able to choose whether it's, whether you're driving particular frequencies, whether you're slamming the front end or whether you're, you're, you're you're post driving that sound you know creating shaping an eq sound and then driving it afterwards there's each three of those those drive stages will create a completely different thing and if you know what you're looking for you can create something incredibly tailored to you yeah just with this incredible depth uh, yeah. a few I, other pedals have have gone after this sort of style of drive and i don't know why it's not universal yeah i think as, as they say on the website you know there's so much debate over whether an overdrive circuit sounds better before and after eq so why not have both and i think that's the yeah. thing you know so many people um and I, I think sometimes i think maybe i should have one on my board but so many of the top session players loads of people have said the the, the secret weapon like a Boss G7, like an EQ, basically, right, on your right. pedal board because you can boost certain frequencies. If you've got a switcher, obviously, you can move it around. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, can, it works with everything. You know, an EQ pedal kind of allows you to, to change pre or post that, that drive sound. The fact that you can fit it all, it's all in one, you know, as they call it, paradynamic overdrive. Yeah. You know, I've heard this thing go anywhere from sort of clon to sort of like, you know, much more sort of like filthy full gain overdrive. I, I actually think as someone probably more like you, Joe, who's in the studio, um, it's just something you could kind of tweak around and find a lot of different EQ settings for what you what you need. Well, that's that's actually it, to be honest. Like, and we spoke about this on Gear of the Year, but the the what really got me excited about the Angry Rhubarb was um was when i went into the studio with with polymath and and tim our guitarist ended up we, you know we had a bucket of pedals to choose from he had a big pedal we had a whole load of stuff out so many drives and fuzzes and uh and you know we ended up using the angry rhubarb on almost everything just because on its own slammed into the front of a an old 60s vox ac30 it was capable of doing everything doing the big thick like neck humbucker style backup guitar that Tim would do, and then his normal coctois, very thin, very mid-focused thing. And all we had to do was write down a, a couple of settings. I think we had three settings written down, and that was the bulk of the record. Rather than switching pedal, it was just mm. this incredibly dynamic drive pedal. Yeah, I think um, if you haven't gone and... If, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't got one yet, definitely one worth trying, because I think it's a little bit different as well. It's not like... Hmm. here's your volume here's your tone here's your gain 
see you later and oh and it's based on a tube screamer for example it's it's very much like you know here's some here's some pre-drive here's some post-drive obviously you can make it as loud as quiet as you want and then here's a great parametric eq like just mess around like have some fun like yeah don't let us tell you how to use it almost you know it's not like you know well coming back to the origin thing this is very much a tube screamer you're going to have a especially if you're into guitar effects, you're into that world, you're kind of going to have an understanding of what that effect is. With something yeah. like this, it's almost like paradynamic overdrive. I'm like, where do you... Like, yeah. the world is your oyster. The gain world is your oyster. You can kind of go out and do whatever you need to do, which I think is is great and so rare as well um, nowadays. That's something that's not... And don't get me long, wrong, I love these kind of pedals, but, you know, that's not sort of over-the-top crazy fuzz with a as you said, Joe, with a crazy name that does a, something crazy. This is like, no, this is a solid, like, working distortion it, overdrive for your yeah. pedal board that can be shaped in so many ways. It's exactly that. It's a one-stop workhorse of a drive pedal. And I think that's the same as um, very much as the, the Red Mist. You know, um, Mikey uh, was very much wanting a pedal that meant that if he was on tour, he didn't know what backline he was going to get. He could basically yeah. plug that into a twin or a Marshall or whatever and get the sound he wants. And I kind of get the feel it's the same thing with this. You know, perhaps not on the same gain scale slightly different perhaps but hmm. very much something that you can kind of go yeah like i can basically dial this in to the room or the situation that i'm in which i think is really really nice yeah exactly the, the red mist was hard for me to get my head around just because i don't i don't like the sound of martial amps that weird sort of um reined in sort of yeah, i don't know that sort of compressed thing it's that they sound naturally cheesy and i think it's just the type of music <laughs> like punk rock classic rock that marshals have been traditionally used on mm. i'm not saying they're not fantastic dear listener and and you know lots of people have used them very effectively i just can't help but think that i can listen to them objectively and really like them when i play them and when i hear them myself playing through them i'm like i do not like this sound it sounds tacky yeah, and so and and so the red mist because it was going after that martial sound. It's that same sort of thing. It's just a it, not not my vibe. Have you ever been into martial amps, Matt? I have had, uh, I have had what have I had martial wise? <laughs> so actually, and I wish I'd never sold this. Um, I did at one point have the uh, Marshall AFD one hundred slash signature appetite for destruction head. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, yep, had one of those. Um, Wait, what was that? Was that the? That what? was the Silver Jubilee reissue. Oh, right. Um, they, they released like a five watt or a one watt slash thing, didn't they? Did they? Point? Yeah, I think they might have done a smaller AFD. But I had a Marshall AFD. Never used it. Um, I, and I mean, never used it. I think it stayed in its box the entire time I had it, basically. Terrible. Um, yeah. Oh, God, that's de depressing. Yeah, uh, the Cel Marshall Cel SL5. It was a 112, Celestine Greenback, 1 watt or 5 watt valve combo. No, I just great. had a look here. Marshall AFD100, uh, listing on reverb for about £5,000. <laughs> <laughs> you have made a mistake, I sir. think I sold it for £800, <laughs> oh. uh, which is basically, I think, what I paid for it at the time. Um, and it sounded good. Um, I always wanted a Marshall Silver Jubilee because... 
John Frusciante played a Marshall Major, which is the 200-watt one in silver. He always had one of those in his rig. And I think I've told this story before, but there was a, a little guitar shop in Ipswich, where I'm from, um, that is now closed, but it was the guitar shop at the time. And they had... I think it was in the 80s, they did like a Marshall 25-watt mini stack, but it was like two 2x12s two and a and a head, rather than two 4x12s and a head. Wow. And I think this is like 2002, and it was like 750 quid, and I was like, hey, I definitely can't afford that. You know, I was like 14. Um, <laughs> and I, but I really, I really wanted that. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I've always wanted a Marshall Bluesbreaker 18. Um, I think they sound great. A uh, friend of the podcast, Dan Grace, uses one. Uh, that's basically the only thing he uses, and they sound amazing. Mm. Um, I prefer, like, kind of collectability rather than anything. Yeah, they did the, the One Watt series, um, and they did a JTM One offset limited edition stack which was very cool and they sounded really good but i mean yeah you'd never never gig with it um i did have i tell you what i did have just talking through all the gear i did have a marshall class five and that thing was wicked the marshall class five was very cool in fact well i mean they're obviously they must be discontinued now right they definitely they don't make a class five anymore but i had a red class five and they were that was really good Oh, I remember that when they started doing limited colours, they did a number, didn't they? They did like a British racing green, a red. They did. They probably did a blue, like a Pelham blue sort of thing. I think they did. Um, I never don't... see those. Never see those secondhand. No, although I am looking at a secondhand class five for a very reasonable price. <laughs> they yeah, oh. they don't go for a lot of money, but they don't 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 be fooled by the reissue ones. Of the class five, which are made to look like the blues breaker. No, you want the uh, you want the first um, the first ones, right? So I think the yeah. really early ones. Because it's the C five class five is the the one ten five watt one that they redid as the in the base breaker sh- style chassis, and they go for about two hundred and fifty quid, I think. Yeah, um, very cool. So I did have one of those that sounded really good, and for home use and stuff, you know, was great. Wasn't too overpowered um you know did have a bit of clean headroom in you could drive it if you wanted to um but i thought you know very very cool very very cool indeed i agree that i did really like those and i like the sound of those i've just found a um a yellow like um a graffiti yellow marshall c5 class 5 so it is that uh that blues breaker styling a 2010 Super Limited Edition, £1,000 on Reverb. Oof. Oh, I've, I'm looking at the same one. Bernie Marsden, oh, one of a kind. <laughs> oh, is there what it is? Um, <laughs> it's being sold by Bernie Marsden. Bernie no, Marsden. Um, <laughs> I don't know where they, they... Apparently... Oh, it was given to Bernie Marsden by Jim Marshall himself. Um Ooh. Who um, looks very cool? Yeah, that's the one that you want. That's the one that I think looks uh, that looks wicked. Um, but yeah, they did a red one, um, which I thought was really cool. But yeah, I think everyone goes through like a Marshall phase, don't they? Um, I guess so. Yeah. But yeah, probably. I don't even know what they make now that I would that I would buy. I, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, 
I've sort of lost touch with what's what's out there. Um, obviously, the studio series was probably more up my street, which, if I remember rightly, was their kind of twenty watt head. Um, they still make the Blues Breaker, which I probably buy. They still make pedals, which I think is bananas. Um, yeah, looking at it, it would have to be the Ham Wide series. Yeah, they've got some great stuff in the Hand Wide series. Seven, the, seven, the 74X, that's the one. That That is the one, really. I think that's the one I'd have to have. That is the basically the Blues Breaker, the 1974X. Let's see. Um, they do some good stuff in their vintage reissue series as well. I don't think that should be underestimated. Yeah, I think probably for people getting into Marshall for the first time who want something more affordable, that's perhaps more... V- of the classic style, I think the studio is probably the one to go for. Um, obviously, the classic Marshall MS2 microamp, you know, you can't, can't forget that. The, the SV series were the ones that stood out for me recently when I saw them in Birmingham for the first time when they were camped opposite the Ashdown booth. They did the F- SV20s, which I think we spoke about on a podcast after I'd seen them because you could buy them in head and cab or mm. combo form, 20-watt valve amps, that classic sort of Art Deco Marshall logo, like a, a sort of fawn grill, and then it was either like a almost a Fiesta red, a Pelham blue or a British racing green mm. Tolex. Um, yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it'd have to be a 74, a 74X, I think. To be honest, really? I had to go back and buy any amp, any amp from my previous collection of amplifiers. Um, I used to have, uh, on a side note, used to have a really good cab by Matamp. Um, and then yeah. when I saw a friend that I hadn't seen for a number of years, he went, oh, I still got that cab you sold me. And I went, which one? He went, yeah, it was like a, a white Matamp cab. I went, oh man, I wish I'd never sold that. And he's like, yeah, I haven't used it since the day you sold it to me. And I'm like, do you want to sell it back? I've got a friend who was really, really into guitar and he just stopped being really into guitar. So I hate those people. Well, the funny thing was that at the time... Uh, we've been meaning to meet me up because he was like, oh, yeah, I've got like, I think he bought like all the electro harmonics, like big box pedals, the original ones, like a pog and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, they're just like in their boxes. And I'm like, well, please, can I have them for no money? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he's got like a whole bunch of stuff. He's like, yeah, I just don't use it. You'll have to come around and see it. I'm like, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Um, so, uh, yeah, he had a really good cab. I I did have... Well, I mean, I've owned a couple of Dr. Z's and I would be very tempted to buy another Dr. Z. I've seen a couple up for sale secondhand. They did a really good one. They still make it actually called the Maz 18. Um, but the Maz 18 Junior with reverb um, right. is probably what I would have if I could have... Uh, if I could have one again right now, either that or um, a Marshall Lone Star special, which I had for ages, and I gigged <laughs> with that, and that thing was wicked. Uh, and they don't go for tons of money. They do come up occasionally. Um, Why don't you get one, Matt? Because I've got no money, Joe. I keep spending it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, 1x12 combo, uh, twenty. I think 25 
15 or 5 watts, if I remember. 35, 15 or 5 watts. Loads of clean headroom. Two basically identical channels. One that had a separate drive control so you could drive it a bit harder. But a great pedal platform. Um, Yeah, really, really solid amp. So, uh, yeah, I'd be tempted one day in the future to come back and uh, and get one of those things. That would be your one, would it? If you could get one amplifier right now that you don't you don't own that i don't own yeah probably probably be that probably be that i mean i love boogie amps and i've had you know i've had them before we've always talked about the mess boogie electrodyne um mm-hmm. which was their kind of take on a marshall plexi uh which come up occasionally um they were kind of relatively unsuccessful um i think at the time uh but yeah i reckon a mess of boogie loan stuff what about you joe what's What's been through your hands and amp wise, or what could you, what would you go out and get right now if you had to, uh, you had to get something? Um, it's, it, I, I actually think the, uh, the, the amplifier that I, there were two amplifiers that are kind of, you know, they, they hold something special in your past and you're like, yes, that's a thing that I want. That I don't have now and that I really should get. And I think, yeah, there are definitely two that stick out for me. I'm, I'm sorry, dear listener, they're both going to be bass amps because, honestly, the, the simple fact is I just know so much more about what I want from bass than, than guitar. Um, guitar I can have, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's hilariously enough, a Hart K uh, HA5500 uh, or however you say it, 5500. Um, do, you, do you remember these, Matt? Do you remember these at all? I, I do not. I thought you were going to say something like a gorilla practice amp uh, for some <laughs> reason. Uh, Harky 55, yeah, HA 5500. Oh, I know the ones. So, yeah, so these, yep. these, uh, these are, they're just quintessential bass amps. Um, they're solid state with a valve preamp. So, very similar, I guess, setup to, to the Ashdown ABMs that I play today. But, um, the great thing about the Harkies is what you had was there was no no drive control on them. I loved the uniqueness of the of the way these amps were laid out. So it had a, a graphic equaliser. I can't remember how many bands, maybe 10, I don't know, 12. I think like it that. looks a, like a good amount. 10. I think it looks like 10. I'm looking at a picture now. It was a good amount, a good amount. But um but then crucially the way that you would drive a, a 5500 um, rather than having like a gain and an output and, and an output as you would on an on an ordinary amp what you had was um uh two controls one for your on your preamp one for the tube in your preamp and one for the solid state part of that so two completely independent rotaries a and b and you could balance those you could turn one off and just have the solid state. You could turn solid state off, just have the valves doing the work. Or you could blend them. So you've got different amount, amounts of clean headroom versus that sort of uh, the ruckusness of the 12AX7 in the preamp. And then there was this lovely like uh, contour control um, that would give you a gorgeous like a push to your mids. There was a low pass and a high pass on individual rotaries and then just a master volume at the end. Um, so it was quite involved for something that was relatively simple. It was just very unique, gorgeously unique, but also almost impossible to get a bad sound out of. It just sounded good no matter what you did with it. And I just loved that about the product. I always thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, 
and they did at, at, at around when when the HA series was in its heyday. They did an HA series of uh, of base cabs as well, which were right up my street. Because whilst Hartke are probably most known for making aluminium cones uh, in their Hmm. I can't remember what they called that series. It was like Hyper or something. I can't, it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, they're known for that sort of very modern, very brittle, very trebly sound. But with the HA stuff, they made cotton wool lined, like narrow cabs available in, in 410s in, or a 15. I think those are the only two size cabs they did. So a bit like vintage bass cabs. And they sounded like vintage bass cabs. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, at a time when Ampeg were just like, what are you doing? What is this brand anymore? Hartkey were offering such a wonderful solution for bass players that could be that traditional thing, but it could also do that modern thing really gorgeously. And they, they go for very little money um, these days. They're, they're you know, definitely worth worth. And, and you've got a similar cab right now, right? You use the kind of cotton line... Well, well, that's what. Yeah, that's. I had Ashdown make me custom cotton wool line cabs because I was so inspired by the Hartke HA series. Um, So when I started doing, when I started playing Ashdown cabs, I I asked their custom shop if they could make me something, basically like the HA stuff, which I'm pretty sure the HA stuff would have been about a quarter of the price. But, (laughs) but um, yeah, they were they were real good. So I think, yeah, that for. That for for me was my my big amplifier that I wish I'd draw. The other one I was trying to I was trying to look for the other one that's that because I, I couldn't quite remember the name of it. So that doesn't really instill much confidence in how highly I, I regarded it. But certainly something that I wish I could get. It was a Mesa Boogie amp. Now I thought they were called the Tour Man or something like that. It was a bass combo. That oh, they bass did combo because. What was the base head and cab they did for what? Weighed an absolute ton. Um, the only reason I remember that is once we had a request when I worked, I think, at GAC for someone who wanted them, but they lived on the Isle of Wight. They had to be, like, custom-ordered, and they weighed so much that technically they had to arrive on a pallet. And I think the delivery was, like, hundreds of pounds. <laughs> Oh. Um, for this, yeah, for this one set of bass cards. But I can't remember the combo. Can't remember the combo. I definitely remember... Walkabout. Walkabout, okay. Walkabout. Um, I remember checking it out because uh, Ben Kelly, the second bass player for Incubus, um, he, he obviously was a guitarist first, and he started playing them. <laughs> I think, basically, he was Mesa Boogie endorsed and then became a bass player and was like, well, what bass amps do you have for me to play at stadiums? And they were like, we've got a 300-watt combo. And so he was having to play, like, <laughs> like his stadium setup was like eight <laughs> of these combos because <laughs> he had to make them look like a big wall of amps, but they didn't do any big amps at the time. But, yeah, it was a, a yeah a, a single 15-inch by the looks of it, walkabout scout combo. Scout um, combo. Wow, yeah. I don't remember those at all. Um, they basically look like it, like like everything looks today. All bass combos look today, which is going after that Ampeg B15 style sort of top mounted controls look. Right. How much so, were they? They must have been. Uh, well, they go now for like eight hundred. I'm um, looking at one for eight hundred and twenty five quid on Reverb. Oh right, and then look at the controls on the top. Yeah, very. Uh, Early two thousands, yeah, very boogie. Oh, yeah. I bet they were heavy as well. Very boogie. 
I bet they are. I bet it weighs. Although it says neodymium speaker, um, so I don't know. Doesn't have any weight on it. But I remember most of that boogie stuff was was heavy, regardless. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So you'd have a boogie. I'd have a boogie. (laughs) <laughs> and we'd be a right old boogie band. Yeah, very, very early, uh, early 2000s of us. Well, it, interestingly, um, I started watching, as I'm sure most people have already watched or have have watched or starting to watch. And if you haven't watched, I would recommend the Woodstock 99. Uh, oh, I think God. they call it Trainwreck, Woodstock 99, the documentary. I, I just saw the trailer. It looks harrowing to watch. I haven't put it on yet because it's. I feel like it's going to make me nervous. It, it, give me a give me a um, an advert for it. So basically, um, I, I'd already re- knew a bit about this, but effectively, Woodstock 99, 30 years after. Woodstock 69, the famous festival of peace and love, half a million people descending to a free festival in New York. 250,000 people attended a paid-for festival on a disused army base uh, slash airfield in the middle of New York in 40-degree heat uh, to watch the biggest bands of 1999, including Limp Bizkit, Corn, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metallica, um, amongst others, and chaos ensued. Uh, f- won't won't ruin it. It's worth watching. Basically, a terribly organised festival with a lot of angry young teenagers from 1999 um, being charged extortionate amounts of money for food or drink, just like festivals today. Um, and then Limp Biscuit came on in the middle of the second day and basically um, broke stuff. <laughs> Should we say? Um, so definitely, definitely worth a watch. But it's interesting. I was watching it from a kind of guitar perspective, and obviously, what I tell you, what was super interesting, Joe, was Corn were the the second to main headliners on Friday night. <coughs> the main headliners were Bush, and I never thought what? Bush of being that big of a band but apparently their first record sold six million copies and they've sold about 20 and went like yeah went six times multi-platinum in the u.s um and they came on after corn and you watch the footage of corn you're just like it was insane um but you know they've got big i I don't i can't remember what amps they were using but the one bit of rack gear that sticks out line six pod was one of the right line six pods (laughs) in both rack units and i'm just like well, if they sounded good enough for woodstock 1999 i'm sure they sound good <laughs> enough today um but oh, yeah def- definitely worth a watch yeah from a from a guitar pl- from a bit of a guitar perspective some of the bands on there um there was actually a woodstock 1994 which lost loads of money and and this one time around they were like we need to put on a festival that makes loads of money um but yeah they they sort of like ran out of water um yeah i think the heat got up to the heat wave experience in the uk at the moment so it's like 100 degrees fahrenheit um people just got very angry joe and um yeah so definitely definitely worth a watch um from that can't even remember how we got onto that but yeah definitely worth a watch and from a guitar perspective it was because we were talking about the time mess of oh and of course yeah and of course the time period um 
Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of. It's so funny when I when I think about that that time period. And, and sorry, dear listener, obviously this is quite a, a beaten track for us. But when when I think about that time period and the stuff I was using then, and like what I thought about gear, I remember as a bass player like the spy the line six spider bass combo being an aspirational piece of equipment back then. I remember when I bought my first pod and I was like, this is fantastic. I've got all the professional grade amplifiers I will ever need in this kidney-shaped red thing. You know, and, and like uh, the guitarist in my band buying one of those Vox Valvetronic things. Yeah, and, and, AD, and AD50, like, AD100. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's because he really wanted... He really wanted... Um, uh, he really wanted just a regular vox you know <laughs> but um but, and we we talked him into we talked him into it and uh <laughs> oh, and, terrible it, it friends after, i know i know it broke after three months or something like that you oh, know just man. outside of his warranty because i think he got it second hand but i remember just how aspirational those sorts of pieces of equipment were at that time and how genuinely terrible <laughs> they all were yeah Although i don't know the pod the pod probably I, i've never listened to a pod again so i don't know but you know people say it's it stood the test of time yeah and i think um it's interesting you talk about gear to aspire to because kind of segueing into another part of our of our agenda joe but this is the uh rabia um Rabia Signature Neural DSP Archetype Plugin. Um, and the reason I thought I'd go to this was because we're talking about aspirational gear. Do guitar players now, I'm going to sound like a granddad guitar player now, but do those young'uns, do, do they still want amps? Have they got aspirations for amps or is it more just about the the sound? Because so many people out there are using plugins for writing, recording, yeah. You know, and I and I think it's I think it's interesting, and I always come back to when we interviewed Pliny, and he was like, "I only ever plugged an Ibanez into an ME50 into headphones." I'm like, yeah. I, and you know, I was talking to a, a young guy who does some videos for a YouTube channel earlier this year, and he's like, "I've never plugged into an amp. I've never owned an amp. Yeah. I've only ever owned a multi effects, or I've only ever plugged into my computer." And I think the great thing is now, if you look at, and we'll talk about some of the features in a second, but this Archetype Rabia, you know, the Neural DSP plugin, it's a hundred and thirty dollars. I mean, it's got so many sounds on it. It sounds so good. And I'm like, what? If you're at home a lot and you're a bedroom player, like, what more do you do you need? Well, this is kind of it. And we'll, we'll hear sort of listeners, uh, you know, g- g- give me feedback I- against this uh, after the podcast. But I, th- I think the question is more like what young players aren't using a plugin and a DAW because it's just such a standardized thing there and and dear listener i know like you know i'm i'm nearly 40 as well and i know i i've sort of you know me and matt have done all the podcasts on the on virtual stuff but i appreciate that i was late to the game and a lot of our listeners are you know have never ever dived into this side of things and are very much amplifier minded which is absolutely fine as as you know i i've said on the podcast recently i'm going through a big you know traditional valve no plugins nothing digital sort of uh point point in time at the moment i'm sure i'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll 180 on that at some point i'm sure <laughs> but um but I, yeah i guess uh i guess m- my point is i think whilst yeah there are loads of us out there who just haven't touched upon this sort of stuff at all this is a real real strong movement now and i i think most young players this is far more interesting 
to them than shelling out a thousand pounds that they don't have on a you know the the latest mess of boogie mm. yeah absolutely and i think you know the amazing thing about the rabia one and again we spoke about plugins it's not my favorite thing maybe if i played more or, or had a bit more of a studio room that i could play more and didn't have as much amps and pedals that i just wanted to plug in all the time i think this is amazing because actually you know i love to be i've known him for for years you know and been all across you know europe and uh even japan japan with him spent a lot of time with him and you know he really does know his sounds a great player his pedal board he's got some really specific sounds especially for for tosca which he did which is obviously the octava the fuzz which are, are both on board, but he's also got a compressor and an overdrive for more of his kind of classic. He gets some great sort of strat tones. Um, but what I absolutely love in this is him going, can we do something different in terms of the effects? You know, every plugin has its own unique thing. And this one's got a synth that triggers genuine synthesis. It's not a synth model. You know, it's not strings triggering you know, another plug-in sound. It's triggering some sort of digital synthesis, you know, using the actual um, strings to kind of trigger an oscillator, uh, an ADSR, um, that's your attack, decay, sustain and release, as well as a filter to get like real kind of great synth sounds. And I think that's just a great production tool, again, for guitarists to do something a little bit different. This is it. And this is exactly it. This, as part of the archetype series that Neural DSP have done, essentially these are all different voicings of the same sort of backbone, you know, which is the the archetype. And and they've had a bunch of artists do different things. And they're great. They're all fantastic. But they are just voicings specific to that artist. So you as a non-artist would just choose the flavour that you like the most. I really enjoy that Rabia's tried to make an all-in-one, which is something I think... Corey Wong probably did more than any of the other plugins that they they had. Corey Wong tried to offer something for everyone in his mm. archetype plugin, and I feel like Ruby has taken a little bit of a leaf out of that book and really tried to make this a very very versatile thing. And that's the great thing about Ruby is he's a great clean strap player, as he demonstrates in the in the videos for this, and as this the this plugin will lend itself to, as well as being able to do the big ridiculous post rocky things yeah exactly i think um yeah i think it's another win for for plugins i think there will always be a place for amps and things like katanas you know speaking from experience you know have always been or have been for the last sort of five years very popular again because i think they offer quite a lot in one box and i think for a lot of people it's yes there's a generational thing you see slash on stage and you go i want a big marshall or you know that those kind of things but nowadays people are like off oh, and playing at home quite a lot like what other choices have i got i got and i think when i think joe we said it a few weeks ago like if you're going to go out and gig i think most people are still going to go out and play an amp like rabia is still going to go out with sure. two krakens and two four by twelves um yeah. but he's not going to michael that up in you know for the general stuff that he does in the studio maybe but i think it's um having the right tools for the the right job isn't it yeah exactly exactly this is just yeah this is a perfect rig for anyone who's looking for something that doesn't that is looking for extreme versatility in a plugin you know for me i'm probably not gonna get this one um like it's the the thing for me is i'm still 
absolutely stumped by the newer DSP Tone King. I can't believe how good that thing sounds. Mm. And it's become the backbone of everything. I feel like uh, I was okay at at doing sort of guitar tones for the little guitar reel demos that I do. I was okay until the Tone King came out. And now just everything I do sounds great. Yeah, I think that's the great thing again for shooting demos. It's not like you've got to mic stuff up and... You know, you can just feed it straight into your uh, into your interface, and away you go. I mean, how how good is that? Do you know, it just makes it better for that sort of stuff. You know, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think exactly. uh, again, just a very very cool, very very cool bit of gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Now, um, I, I was uh, I was going to ask Matt if you'd filled the space on your pedal board since we had Dan on the podcast. Uh, I understand you haven't, but you, you're doing something that Dan suggested. I yes. So uh, to be honest, I've been too busy to actually unbox my pedal board um, right. recently. So I. I think a few weeks ago I was going through lots of different drives, lots of very good suggestions. And again, even today talking about the, uh, the Halcyon and the red beard stuff, the red mist, the anchor of rhubarb, um, it kind of go, Oh, maybe I should just put another drive in there just cause it's nice to have lots of flavors of drive. I've got the delay pedals. I like, uh, you know, I've got the, the kind of auto wire filter pedal. I like, you know, I'm only really using a VB two. I thought, Oh, maybe I could put DC two on there, but kind of similar you know for what i'm doing um so i'm still sort of debating stuff i mean my demo pedal board that i use for work has an sy200 on it which i've been like it's just so good it's so good sy200 bit of midi so you can just change presets nice and easy with an expression pedal there's some just amazing sounds in there uh absolutely amazing sounds i was like oh maybe that um, but one thing I did do was use the um, expression ramper, which we talked about last week. And yeah, if you haven't listened to last week, do go back and have a listen. But the expression ramper from Old Blood Noise is effectively two fixed expression pedal points, if you will, uh, in a mini sized pedal. And you can either set A and B up, and every time you press the switch, it will just go between one or the other, it'll either glide or just jump between one or the other. Uh, or you can set it up to kind of like an LFO, go up and down in a waveform, either um, a kind of square wave, so straight up and straight down, or a sine wave, so smooth up and smooth down. Um, it's just so you, there are so many applications. Indeed. For this. So I, I was actually using it for. So I actually put it on my board, using it for the to control the frequency cutoff of the filter pedal I use, um, because then that gives me a kind of almost. I can, I can still because the filter pedal I use has got an envelope, so I can still use it for auto wire stuff. But I can also, if I turn that on, it will. It was almost like I'm turning the cutoff control in real time, and you kind of set a cool speed, and then you kind of can have this like slow filtering up and down, or you can have it kind of quick for this kind of like bubbly sort of filter sound. Um, it's really, really cool. I definitely think I think as we said last week, it is a utility pedal that i think everyone should have kicking around in a drawer um because i definitely think it um there's some great stuff that you can do with it some really great stuff i mean one thing that i've done before a different way but if someone's thinking oh how could i use it another great one was uh, boss dm2 for example it's got an, a a rate input for the expression pedal 
uh, you can use a expression ramper for that and you can set the two values so the a value and the b value to be really short and then have it go between the two turn the speed up really quickly and then it's almost like a chorus so you're going between two really short delay times really really quickly um but this you know i think again just one of those cool tools that you can have and just experiment with yeah yeah for sure exactly um yeah god damn it they've really nailed utility stuff they have they? we said it to dan but you know last week but they really have nailed utility bits they have they have indeed and uh on the um vintage pedal front joe i know you were talking about old boss pedals but just to uh oh, yeah. i kind of uh wrap this part of the conversation up uh coda music at the moment i've noticed have um three of the big ones that we've been talking about rv2 uh dc oh, yeah. dc3 uh, dc2 sorry the old dimension chorus and a tiwar all for sale uh at the same time joe that prepare is- your wallet that is an attractive proposition. Although I kind of, uh, so I accidentally filled my the space that I had. <laughs> accidentally. I mean, I, <laughs> well, I, I filled it with a pedal that's far, far too big. I put a, a picture of it on the, on the Guitar Nerds group on Facebook. Dear listener, join it if you're not already there. Uh, Facebook. Why am I saying the URL? Just Guitar Nerds group <laughs> on Facebook. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, what I added was the Ashdown, the John Mayung Double Drive, which is a pedal that I've I've had kind of here because, of course, you know, dear listener, as you know, I, I, I work for Ashdown. And so I have all, all of their pedals and bits and bobs here. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the drives for Ashdown have never really been for me. I find them a bit too soupy on the low end, and I quite like, you know, I, I like a shallow drive, so I like clarity on my low end. I, I think that's an important bit. And they, Dave Green, the guy who you know d- designed most of the original Green amps, who is the amp designer for um, for Ashdown, um, he disagrees with me fundamentally on uh, on of that. Of course, He's, he does. All all of his drives pedal uh, drive pedals have. But like just so so much gain. So I almost, to be honest, I got to a point where I I, I don't really even <laughs> check them out that much. You know, I record the sort of videos, but I'm like aware this isn't really going to be my vibe because you know it's just not the sort of sound that I like, and that's totally fine. I love everything else they do. It's just you know that that's not really for me. But I sat down with the John Myung. I was like, oh, I, I'm gonna make a little reel for the John Myung today. You know, I, I need to do some stuff for Ashdown, and I plugged it in. And I had a bit more of a mess around with it. And I think the problem that I have with drive pedals is because I'm automatically like, I want transparency. I don't take drives over 12 o'clock. I don't really like taking them over nine o'clock. You know, I like them being in that three, you know, three to six, you know, sort of, uh, yeah. uh, sort of area. Um, and, and, and that's, that's where I'd, that's where I'd normally leave them on, on any drive pedal. And it was, and it was that it's just not the right place for the John Young. And I found when I actually started turning up the drives and using the pedal as I guess it's intended to, as a big drive pedal, it sounded absolutely fantastic. Um, I loved it. And so the drive pedal is very simple, you know, despite being utterly huge, it's like the size of three, pedals you know for, for i love no it reason. i mean i don't is he actually using this live or is this a studio tool for him it's so he's not committed it to anything basically he approached us he approached dashdown because he wanted a huge drive and fuzz sound for a new 
thing that Dream Theater are working on. So it was very much around that. Right. So he even he even came in and was like tweaking a V two of the pedal recently. So uh, he he's you know he's he's create he wanted something that could do massive harmonics and things like that. Just a huge fuzzy wall of sound drive. Um, so it's kind of a new thing for him because I don't think that's really what what his bread and butter is. Right. But the pedal itself essentially has two drives on it, called the double drive. Drive, drive one's three controls. You've got a, you know, a tone, a volume, and a gain. Drive two is more of a fuzz, and you just have a volume and gain on that. And they stack against each other, so you know, so so one to two. The interesting thing is, too, the fuzz side isn't actually very loud. Like it's it's almost like you can. It, they have independent foot switches, but I almost wouldn't recommend using the fuzz size on it on its own. It's almost a little bit lacking on its own because really, what it's designed to do is complement the first drive. Um, right. So when you when you when you run them into each other, it's gorgeous. And drive one on its own is fantastic. Drive two on its own, the the fuzz side is just yeah, as I say, just maybe a little a little weaker, a less just a little quieter really. But you, you slam the front end with drive one, and it sounds absolutely incredible. And it just gives you two really really great harmonically rich drive tones. So I, I've had the best time. Um, cause I, I actually, uh, uh, yeah, the, the reason the podcast is a, is a, is a day late this week, dear listener, is cause yesterday, um, I was, I was filming a, a, a video for Polymath where we meant to, to play, play, uh, like a live version of one of our songs. Uh, we, we, we our drummer works in a, a Brighton nightclub called Patterns, you know, Patterns, Matt? I do. You know yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had, uh. Um, we we went down there and recorded there. Our, our, yeah, our drummer's the something, some sort of the, the, like the sound manager, there, stage manager, there, something like that. So we were able to have that for the day and film the whole the the video, which was fantastic. The only problem, the only problem was, of course, this weekend just gone was Gay Pride in Brighton, which is the biggest party in Brighton yeah. for you know for a solid weekend. And we took we we obviously rolled in on the Monday. Bear in mind, Patterns is a nightclub. <laughs> you know, pr- pretty much on the Kemp Town side of Brighton, and uh, we went in there, and they were like, "Yeah, it's totally fine. You can obviously still use it. It's just uh, cleaners didn't show up." <laughs> oh, no, so it was the place was uh, it was interesting. Yeah, we had to do quite a. We, we had to in the end. We were like, we're going to have to get some mops really in here and clean this place up get it to a standard <laughs> where we can because <laughs> it was carnage in there but uh it was wonderful i had a great time i had a great eight hours eight hours oh, of having oh. to put all the same energy into that into a one performance over and over again Oof, yeah well that's what it's all about that's what it's all about um exactly. but yeah well look forward to seeing it joe well, there you go. Yeah, we be out soon. In fact, in fact, yeah. This 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 Friday, this Friday, the first. Uh, I've been told, instructed by uh, our, our label, not to call it a single because they're not singles anymore. They're uh, what are they called now? Are they moments now? I'm not sure. It's, moments. Uh, it's it's like yeah, that's what they because it's all about getting. It's not like a single in a traditional sense. It's a a track that's eligible that's pitched for playlists on streaming services. So you, it has to be released separately. But you don't call it a single. It's not a single. 
it's a moment or a focus track. That's that's what we were told focus to track. refer to right. it as. So our first focus track is a single. It's a single. There are three singles coming out. Our first single comes out on Friday. Um, wow. Lots of, I, look forward, uh, lots I look forward to it. There you go. Lo- lots of bass. Lots of bass on this new one. Whole, op- opens with bass. Big bass lines. I think it was all... Um, it's all actually the whole tone on the track that's coming out on Friday is uh, there's no bass amp involved. It's two boss pedals going straight into the front of the desk. It's uh, the, the straight um, into the front of the desk. Wow. Yeah, it's the ODB one going into the BD one X. So the BD one X is kind of a preamp going into the desk. Um and that's the that's the tone for the whole record for the whole track. Right? How long is the uh, how long is the track? Well, it's uh, I think the uh, oh so of course standard polymath would dictate that our tracks are thirty minutes. No, all the tracks are under five minutes on this record, and I think this first one's only like three and a half. I think the singles cut down; they cut out some of the intro. I think, so I think like <laughs> that's super long intro. <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's basically the bass like looping sort of four times and i think the uh the the label were like we're gonna cut this out for the single i was like god damn it <laughs> the only time i've ever been the first instrument on a polymath record. and as we know the new mars volta record is also now available for pre-order as well right mr branton we don't need to talk about it <laughs> not happy yet i'm not happy it's not good is the whole record out now is it or it was just that no, first, just the, first track. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, the third track came out, and it's uh, if you thought the second one was was bad, Matt. Wait until you hear this. Oh, just go back to D Louse. That's what I say. I know, I know. Oh well, oh well. Anyway, dear listener, that pretty much brings us up to time on this week's episode of the Guitar Nerds Podcast. We're going to go over onto the Patreon episode of the podcast, where I want to. I've, I've got some. Based on actually recording um, this this video yesterday, it's raised another question when it comes to guitar amplifiers. And I need your help, dear listener, in working out a solution to my predicament. And maybe your help, Matt, as well. So we're, we're going to... We're going to talk about that there now, um, but uh, but thank you very much for joining us. You can join us for the uh, Patreon episode, dear listener, on patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. A dollar a month will get you access, uh, well, it will get you this episode ad-free and early. Five dollars gets you access to the Patreon special episodes on our back catalogue. Ten dollars gets you the lot, plus I'll sing you my thanks at the end of every episode. Find us on all your favourite social media platforms and join the Guitar Nerds group on Facebook to get involved in our weekly episode discussion. Thanks for listening. You've been lovely. We've been the Guitar Nerds. Bye. I didn't say farewell. I I forgot to say farewell. Farewell!
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.